You're listening to the last session of the day with the Sight Guys. Hey everyone, welcome back to the last session of the day with the Sight Guys. I am Timothy Meyer, joined as always with uh, Dr. Constantine Lukin. Today we open up a conversation on three things that Dr. Lukin says to almost everybody. Th- three things that he wants everyone to know. Um, so, <laughs> so Constantine, let's hear him. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I really like this topic because I think those kind of life lessons uh, that people can take away from um, mental health providers, at least somebody like myself, um, could be very useful uh, because I do keep going to these three things. I want to say with every person I work with, uh, <clears throat> maybe I, I highlight one versus the other a little bit more, but I don't really remember the last time I didn't have all those three elements that I'm about to talk about in, in some form during the treatment. I just, I don't really remember anybody, anybody that uh, wouldn't get at least uh, all of them spread out through a treatment. So my first one, and I think the biggest one that I <clears throat> focus on is the stress tolerance. Uh, and the stress tolerance, um, I'm not really sure how people are hearing it, but to me, the stress tolerance is really kind of in the title. Are you able to tolerate uh, emotional discomfort that com- comes up? And it's not, a lot of people think like it's not necessarily pain, right? It's not physical pain. It's emotional discomfort. And that could be in the form of sadness, fear, anger, guilt shame, all sorts of things that can come up, right? So the the question that I always pose to people is, are you able to just sit with and own that experience without necessarily jumping to any behavior? So just because if you're feeling scared, can you just own it and sit with that fear so that we could put it aside a little bit and figure out what it is that you actually want to be doing? Because as you Tim probably very well known, probably talked to a lot of your patients as well, this idea that people use their emotion as guidance to act. Mm-hmm. You know, like a simple, very simple example is fear of dogs, right? Like if you walk in by and you're scared of dogs and you see a dog across the street, you use that fear and you say, oh my God, I got to run away, right? Like, so what happens there? You experience what we call anxiety, fear, distress, whatever word you want to use, right? And you're using that as an accurate indication of what you need to be doing. So if you're scared, obviously makes sense to be able to run away or avoid the the stimulus. In this case, it would be the dog, right? So one thing that I always talk about in, in many different forms, hold on a second, hold on. So the fear that you're experiencing is telling you what's happening for you in the moment. However, let's be very, very clear. It's not telling you what to do. It's telling you the experience that you're having that at this point in time, you are scared of that animal that's 15 feet away from you. However, let's be very clear. It's not telling you what you need to be doing. That choice is still up to you. So we have two choices. We have one choice to follow what that emotion is pulling for, which is running away, avoiding, or we could also summon our ability to lean into that discomfort, tolerate that discomfort and act in what's our best interest, which is to be able to tolerate the distress near the dog. And as we all know, at least in the mental health field, that if we can tolerate that distress, that fear over time uh, decreases to a point where it's a lot more manageable, right? Like, so I'm a big fan of that, be it in a simple example with the fear of dog, or it's anger. If you're in an argument with your significant other, are you able to keep your feeling, let's say of anger at bay so that you're able to tolerate it and then figure out what would be the most effective strategy to move forward? So this idea about owning the feeling, 
being able to take it in and sit with it before acting is, is just really a big focus of mine. Yeah, I, I feel like it's so easy and natural for us to do something to like fix a feeling. I feel I feel like we're 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 trying to fix our feelings all the time by you know like a, avoiding the dog or 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 doing something to quote unquote fix a feeling. Um, and the more that we are able to lean in and tolerate, and I think oftentimes we do that in a you know in, in a step by step way. Um, our minds and our brains, they change and we become much more able to tolerate other distressing things too. So um, couldn't agree with you more. And uh, it's a huge part of what we do. Yeah. So number one thing, just to kind of throw this out there, is tolerating. And I kind of go a step further and say owning, just I am scared, right? And this is what's happening for me. I'm having this experience. And the next question is, what am I going to do with that? Right, just really beginning to separate. I'm having an experience and it's discomfortable. It's uncomfortable. There's a lot of discomfort. And my next question is, what are we going to do with that? Just to introduce that, although it might be difficult, but there is a choice mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. we can do and trying to capitalize on that choice and kind of flashing it out. Why would one action be more effective than the other? So that's a big one of mine. Yeah. And it, it's, it's super intentional too. Right. Rather yep. than, you know, I, I, I feel like so many of our feelings, they, they dictate what we do and we don't do. Um, it's kind of like taking ownership of all of that. And it's being very intentional rather than kind of like reactive, I, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. 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 It's sort of it's creating that space, creating that distance, really engaging what we call a prefrontal cortex about decision making and to act in, in a way that upholds our values. So, for instance, if you can't go to work because you're afraid of dogs and you live in a particular area where there's lots of dogs, your value, for instance, in that moment is to get to work. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how do we set up our behavior and how do we set up our ownership of that feeling so that it's more productive and more effective to get to our goal? Like, so that's the way I try to set up really a lot of the conversations, especially as they come up with difficult and intense emotions. Gotcha. All right. I, I, I see here that, that, that number two is how to be mindful. How to be mindful. I think now more than ever, I, as you know, mindfulness really has taken off as the third wave of cognitive behavioral work, which is, I feel like anywhere you look in this literature nowadays, mindfulness creeps in and whatever term mm-hmm. you want to use it. But I think mindfulness, a lot of people can relate with There's Buddha statues everywhere to kind of introduce or, or borrow whatever the word that comes to mind from Eastern thought about the idea of being present. And there's so many, as you probably are aware, so many books out there that really talk about how to be mindful, how to be present. You know, for instance, for some of the our listeners who, um, who like Eckhart Tolle, who talks a lot about like power of now, how to be in the moment, right? Like, but one thing that as a clinician, I always, or maybe more of a pragmatist, I try to think of like, how do we take these very cool and interesting ideas of being mindful, being present, and really put it into practical sort of advice that people can use? Because Mm -hmm. potentially you could relate. A lot of the clients are like, yeah, I've read this book. It's so inspirational. It's so great. But then I'm thinking to myself, I'm driving and my mind goes all over the place. and, And I'm saying to myself, holy moly, this is a great opportunity to be present. I have no idea how to do it. Yep. It sounds great, but like, mm-hmm. how do you do it? Right? Like, that's where a lot of people run into issues. Yeah, and you know, people watch watch YouTube videos, and and <sighs> and, and they get a sense, and they say, "Oh, wow, this this is really neat," and I don't really know how to do it. Or right. uh, another thing that that I see, um, 
you know, I, I'll bring up mindfulness and people say, I do mindfulness activities all the time. And I say, <laughs> okay, good. And then they'll, they'll, they'll list like three or four that they do. And I, and I sort of say, uh, for what purpose, how does it serve you? Like, what are you getting at? And they say, Oh, uh, I don't know. Um, so, so I do think that there is a big, uh, I don't want to say knowledge gap, but, but I, I think it's such a big thing. It's, it's very hard for people to understand. Agreed. So I'd love to hear about your, uh, I don't know, five elevator pitch mindfulness things that people need to know. Mine, mine is very much in line with, um, you know, some of the listeners might be aware of dialectical behavior therapy. I think um, it really does a nice job of reminding people there's three basic elements to being present, to being mindful. First thing is to be able to notice what's going on. It just notice, let's say if there's a sensation that's going on for you. For instance, when you're doing mindfulness walking, right? Like noticing, it's sort of like this pre-descriptive, pre-knowing um, <clears throat> experience that you can notice, okay, I just stepped, uh, I'll put my foot on the ground. It's that that noticing that takes place. Second, we're, we're trying to describe it. Oh, the maybe the sand that you're putting your foot in is hot or it's cold, or it's coarse, or it's itchy, right? Like we're really trying to describe the experience. And then my favorite, and probably the biggest part of this is participating in that experience. And the uh, example that I always try to give is when people are sitting, they can do it at home if they like, you sit in a, let's say it's nighttime, and you notice that obviously you're sitting in a room, the lights are on. I always encourage people, turn off the lights, sit there for a little bit, right? Like, and then turn them back on you will notice that your sensation will focus right on the brightness of the light, right? Like you, you'll notice that, wow, it's so light in here, right? Like that participation in that new experience is just one simple way to begin to allow yourself to deepen the experience in the moment. So that's kind of a simple analogy or simple uh, experiment that I always encourage people to do to be able to deepen the experience of being present in the moment by noticing what's going on, by describing it, and by participating in, in that experience with prolonged attention. If people are able to do those three things, whether it's mindful, a lot of examples come to like mindfulness walking or mindfulness tea drinking. Those are basic ones that I feel like are used everywhere. Those three things are really how you keep prolonged attention to a particular task. And it's not something that I've come up with. This is something that's part of any DBT uh, treatment manual. But to me, it really stands out as three basic things that a person can do in order to experience this idea of presence or mindfulness. Okay. Well, I, th I think, I, I mean, I have my own answer for this, but I want to pick sure. your brain a little bit. Um, why is it, what, why is this on, on your, on your top three? Why, why is this so important for your patients and just about anyone to know? I, I hear you. It's because so much of the time that, I mean, as, as you know, we live in uh, northern New Jersey. It's kind of like um, uh, uh, New York City is about 20 minutes away. A lot of the people have, quote unquote, cognitive jobs. They keep thinking all the time, whether they think about the job or the family or, or how they messed up in their past, like the, the mind always races. So in order to ground themselves, everybody says meditate. Everybody uh, <clears throat> says spend 20 minutes you know, sitting by yourself. But for most people, it's not really a practical advice because as weird as it sounds, they can't even find 20 minutes. They just don't have it in their time. Right? So this idea about how you could just go from one meeting 
to another while practicing this mindfulness. You don't have to do anything extra. You just have to notice, describe, and participate as you walk on the New York City asphalt. That's all you need to do. That's why, to me, if you can deepen that practice, and I'm not asking for 20 minutes, I'm just asking for that walk from one place to another. As you're able to train your attention, to have it prolonged attention to a particular task, more of the mindfulness uh, experience comes up for you. So that's why, to me, it helps with anxiety. It helps with uh, tolerating difficult emotion. It helps with just having a peace of mind, even that five minute break from, from one meeting to another, that, that deepened state, uh, people find to be very rejuvenating. And to me, that's sort of uh, self-care number one. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to piggyback on, on one sure. more thing that, that, that I say, I know this is sure. shameless, but sure. I, I got to add some more. Of course. Um, you know, as, as we're sort of flexing this mindfulness muscle in our mind, mm -hmm. I think that there are so many benefits that, that, that come from it. And, and in, in, in my opinion, the most important is the ability to recognize and be aware of our thoughts and, and feelings and emotions, right? So um, kind of going back to what we said before, how, you know, a lot of feelings can come up and then we do something to fix them or, 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 mm -hmm. or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, if we're not aware, mindful, recognizing, uh, attending to these feelings, then yeah, we're going to be kind of on autopilot and right. doing whatever it is that we normally do, avoid, you know, whatever it is. So um, having these skills to be able to tune into ourselves and our emotions or is, is such a huge, huge important thing that I, that I talk about a lot. Uh, absolutely. And, and I, and I really like that you bringing it up because it kind of expands this idea of mindfulness. I was talking more about, uh, being able to be present in the experience or the behavior that you're doing, you're kind of bringing into this other very important piece, which is to be mindful of the thought, feelings, and behaviors as they're coming up for you. Because without that mindfulness, without that insight, it's it's difficult to begin to change. Even going back to the distress tolerance piece, right? We need to be aware that you're in particular type of distress. We need to be mindful of the fact that there are choices that could be made, right? Like, so I think those two ideas of mindfulness, they're related, but still a little bit distinct is also important mm -hmm. to keep in mind mind yeah yeah absolutely okay so right. distress tolerance mindfulness and the third one is <laughs> to me also i mean i can't even to be honest with you, now that we're talking about i don't even know which one is more important this one is just as important as the other i <clears throat> constantly hear people talk about i'm either a people pleaser or I don't want to become selfish or I'm like, I want to focus on myself and I just don't know if I could really care about other people. And they make this sort of dichotomy about I'm either this or I'm that. And a lot of issues or a lot of consequent emotions that come up is because they, they have, a, people have a hard time reconciling that you could have both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, I kind of lean on some of the DBT principles in effective communication where this idea of there's three parts to effective communication, three parts, not one, three. There's honoring self needs, another way of saying caring about what you want. There's also kind of rapport building and kind of being attuned to what the other person needs. And also there's a transactional element, right? I'll give you a perfect example. You, let's see, you go to Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you want to build that rapport with the barista. Say, hey, how's it going? Say, great. How about you? Right. Also great. Like you're building that rapport. You're getting a two and two. Like you want to say hello to the person. You want to get to know like what's going on for them. Maybe it'll be a banality. Like they won't really go into their issues, but you're establishing level of rapport, right? What's yep. the next question that the barista will ask you? What would you like? Right? Mm -hmm. it's prompting you to look within for honoring your need at that point in time. So you say, I don't know, decaf coffee with uh, uh, two sugars, please. Right? Like you, there's you're attuning to what's important to you. But then as you probably very well aware of, there's a transactional element, financial mm -hmm. element. They give you physical coffee. You mm -hmm. give them money, right? Notice there's a transactional element to it. And also mm -hmm. notice if one of is missing uh, or is not really attuned to, it's not going to be a pleasant interaction. If you don't have that back and forth in the beginning, it's kind of like maybe awkward, like rude, right? Like if you're spent too much time figuring out what you want, you're going to anger the people behind you. You know, this is New York City, you know, people have places to go. So if you're not really owning and honoring your need and be like, well, I'm not sure, let me think about it. That doesn't work either. Like people behind you are going to start <laughs> cursing you out loud. Yep. Definitely in their heads, right? And obviously the third piece, right? If they don't have any coffee that you like or you don't have any money, this isn't happening, yep. right? So I always try to, there's three things to effective communication. And I notice once you can superimpose that to their relationship with their spouse, relationship with their boss, relationship with their kids, you want to know, even with their kids, it's a big one that comes up with parents. Like, oh, I'm always about my kids. Always think about what they want. I say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What you're doing is like focusing too much on them. They leave. They go off to college. You'll be resentful. They call you once a year. You're going to be resentful. Stop doing that, right? Honor your needs too. Spending time with kids. Also, there's reciprocity. You're doing it for them. And you also just want to honor your own needs about like, well, what's happening for you? Are you enjoying their company as well? Just to kind of highlight to people that it's not just one or the other. And when they can expand that understanding to have those three pillars, just relationship becomes more effective. People stop feeling guilty. People stop feeling resentful. But like they're owning that it's a balance. Kind of like uh, kind of like juggling. Sometimes you focus more on others, sometimes more on yourself. Sometimes it's really just transactional. Right? Like, but owning and seeing that those three pieces out there is has what I've noticed at least has really been helpful to people. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I, I I you just you just rattled off two or three examples. Can I can I ask you for 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 one more? Sure. 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 So, for instance, um, well, well, let's take a like a very basic example of uh, of a married couple. Right? Okay. Let's say the wife uh, is trying to people please the husband all the time, right? Like by doing everything that he wants, right? On the surface. It may seem great because he's not upset, right? She gets him off her back, right? Like she's really feeding what he needs, right? Like so on the surface, she would be able to come and say, yeah, relationship's pretty good, right? Like, but what she may not attune to is the enormous amount of resentment that she's beginning to hold because oftentimes the complaint is, I'm not really interested in being intimate with my husband. Right. Once we begin to, to kind of dig a little bit deeper, we notice that, wow, she's like she's spending a lot of time attuning to his needs. And, and when I ask a basic question, it's like, OK, I'm hearing you do a lot. It sounds like the family is really functioning really well. But I want to get a sense of like wh what's happening for you when your needs are coming up. How are they being met? And that oftentimes throws a person off because the answer is, like, well, I don't want to be selfish. You know, and this comes up some sort of trauma, maybe in the past where they uh, <clears throat> t 
talked about their needs or disclosed their needs maybe to their own parents. It kind of like, well, don't be like that. You know, you got to think about yeah. others, right? Like even even this idea, got to think about others, has a really nice flair to it. Wouldn't isn't it nice that everybody thinks about other people? But but there's that also less exciting part of that message is that well, then you're disowning your own needs. Yeah. So what we were trying to do is like, wait a second, I'm not asking you to become super selfish. I'm not asking you to stop attuning to your husband's needs. All I'm asking is like, well, let's flesh out a little bit what your needs are like. Let's see where you can craft opportunities to ask for what you need. And also at the same time, being able to attune to his needs. And also, God forbid, maybe sometimes you need your own time. Talk about mm -hmm. a behavioral mm -hmm. time, just carving out time right now. It's only going to be myself or with my friends, right? Like, so we're really trying to balance out those three elements in one's life. <laughs> and once so you're able to do it, then usually, like, for instance, in the case that I'm thinking, intimacy did improve because she felt more connected because he was beginning to meet more of her needs as well. Right, right. And so so if, if I put that example on the Starbucks example, it'd be like, walking up to Starbucks saying, Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? You give them money for your coffee and then you get no coffee and you get no coffee. And you'd be like, well, at least they're satisfied, right? Like they got money, right? They kept the coffee and they say, Oh, thank you so much. Right. And you walk out, you give them money, they're happy. And you're like, well, Oh, but I don't have anything really. Like what, what am I going to do? Well, let me do this. Let me go back. And then again, you ask them and then they, you give them money. They say, okay, and then you walk out and there's, again, no coffee, right? Over and over. At some point, you'll probably get a sense of like, wow, why am I keep doing it? It's not working, right? And somebody says like, well, let's be intimate. Like, let's be close. The Starbucks store and you, let's be close. And they say, I'm not sure. Nah, I'm not sure. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that's interesting. I, 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 I like the example. I, and, and I, I like, I really like the Starbucks example because it's, because it's very digestible. And right. once you're able to understand that concept, you can really lay that over. I mean, I'm doing anyway. it in my head. I'm doing it in my head with like 10 people right now. Um, right. You can really take that digestible example and lay it over lots, lots of relationships. Absolutely. And then you're really paying attention to how do you get rid of resentment, right? Like, well, it's not about they're bad. It's because let's get in touch with your needs and let's craft opportunities of how to say it to the other person. And really see whether that 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 need could actually be met because you can't blame somebody for not meeting your need if a you don't even know what your need is and b you're not being uh, expressive about what that might be you know this whole idea about like well if you oh a common thing that i always hear well if my wife would know me she would do this right but we also know that studies out there suggest that even in most intimate relationship uh <clears throat> excuse me, mind reading doesn't work. Meaning even in close relationship, people are relatively off on what the needs are. So we can't really rely on that. So yeah, we have to be very clear. And a lot of, you know, as, as you know, I do a lot of couples therapy, really flashing out what the needs are, being expressive, turning to your partner and being able to say, here's my needs, like, and, and having them really kind of sink in into that understanding, it does a lot of good for the relationship. Yeah. I, and I'm even uh, in my mind right now, I'm even putting it on other relationships too, like uh, friendships, sure. uh, uh, work situations, of right? The, the, the person who comes in feeling frustrated about them not feeling valued at their job. And I think, I think that there's, there, there's a lot of good there. Huh? Yeah, so that, that's, that's really my just owning the idea. Like I, I, I heard recently, some I have 
part of some self-development group. And as maybe as weird as this sounds, there was a huge debate, huge debate on whether if you see a person who is uh, begging for money on the street, do you give the money or do you not give the money? And it wasn't really about like the consequences of how he or she's going to you, but it was really, do you give and then feel good about it? But that's building up your ego. So that's probably not, not a good thing. Right? Like, or are you giving it because of this guilt and obligation to give? Right? Like, and it's like, it's either this or that. And one gentleman to this goes, why does it have to be either or? It's both. You could be helpful and attuned to his or her needs. And also you could say, I feel good about that. And if you want to work on your ego about it, then go ahead and do it. Don't do, don't do this dichotomy of like this or that. It's both. You could be kind and also feel good about it. And if you want to work on that, God bless you, right? So that simple example, at least to me, really points out it could be both, kind of like here. It's three things. It's transactional. Often it's money or some behavioral exchange. It's attuning to what you want and also being aware of the other person. It's all of those three things. And that's why it's effective because it comes up with all those three things. And it's kind of like the analogy is juggling because oftentimes one ball is up in the air and that's what you want to focus on more than the other ones. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> my main, my, my, my brain is reeling with, with, uh, realizations now. <laughs> and well, I, I, I guess my hope is, uh, other people's are too. Um, that, that, so all three of them definitely applicable. Um, but that third one, I don't know why, but, but, but for me, that one's really standing out. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And those are the three things that I often talk about and kind of like very much in line with this effective communication. It's sometimes it's more distress tolerance for some other people. It's really be more mindful and how to deepen the, the joy of life or other people. It's really about how to figure out how these kind of difficult relationships and dynamics work. Uh, oftentimes, as I mentioned, I do all three just because it, it's applicable at different stages. Um, oftentimes we start with distress tolerance, then I oftentimes move into effective interpersonal dynamics and sort of finish off like, here's how you deepen joy. Like that's really, you know, not I'm thinking about it. I've never actually thought about it in this way, but like, typically that's what I do. I do distress tolerance, then effective, effective communication, and then kind of finish it off by like deepening joy and deepening presence in one's life. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's sort of those are my uh, those are my top three things: distress tolerance, mindfulness, and effective communication. Well, great. I mean, and so so Constantine, I I just want to say thank you for for kind of putting those three things out there in a, in a digestible way. Uh, it's helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for other people as well. So I just want to say thanks. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, and I guess that that wraps it up for today's episode. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in this week. As always, we hope that you enjoyed the show and please make sure to subscribe. We love to interact with our listeners. If you have something you'd like to comment on, ask us about, or hope to hear on the show, please message us on Facebook or Twitter at last session of the day with the site guys, or send us an email at last session OTD at lucancenter.com. Hope to hear from you soon and tune in next week for another engaging episode. This has been the last session of the day with the site guys. See you next time.